Well, good morning, Oakwood. Glad that you're here with us this morning, and if you're online with us, we're so glad that you've taken this time to be with us and to uh, worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and what a great job with the worship this morning for our worship team. Man, I always just think it's just a glimpse of heaven and what it's going to be like when we all gather around the throne of God and sing praises to His name and worship Him. We are starting a new series today on the Ten Commandments. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I probably had a a lesson on the Ten Commandments when I was a youth minister, uh, probably 15 to 20 years ago. I actually uh, have never preached a series on the Ten Commandments, and I am so excited uh, to bring it to you guys over the next several weeks. Now, let me me tell you why, okay? there's, There's so many times where we read the Ten Commandments, and sometimes we read those and we say, oh, you know, that's for that time, and, you know, it's harder to apply to our lives today, and that was... You know, Old Testament, and you know, we like to spend time in the New Testament, and you know, that was the law, but now we're not under the law, we're under grace, and, and, and we have all of these things that maybe we built up in our mind, and then when we read the Ten Commandments, we're thinking, but those are actually great things. In fact, we've been behaving badly as, as Americans really lately. And I wonder if we would maybe take to heart more of God's commands in the scripture. Maybe life in this world wouldn't be as it is now. Maybe there wouldn't be uh, some of the problems and some of the unrest and some of the things. And, you know, you read the Bible and you read the law and you read the commandments and you read what God says. You think, oh, God knew what he was talking about. Like God knew how to live life and how to live good life in this world as we prepare for life eternal. And I wonder sometimes if we would just know the Word of God and then actually preach the Word of God, proclaim it, and then actually apply it to our lives, what a difference it might make in the world. And as God's people, as God's called ones, as those who have called upon the name of Jesus and have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, we're called to lead the way. We're called not to be an exception to the rule. We're called to be the example of the rule. And, and because of that, I'm really, really excited over the next several weeks as we talk about the Ten Commandments. Now, if you uh, know your Bible and, and maybe you had to memorize the Ten Commandments at church camp or Sunday school as a kid, but you probably know that uh, they're actually in two places in the Scripture. We're going to be using Exodus chapter 20, uh, where they were first um, appeared in scripture. So Exodus chapter 20 is where we're going to be over the next several weeks and hopefully uh, as you uh, do this series with us your Bible just kind of opens up there and as always you're welcome to follow along on your tablet or on your phone in the Oakwood app. All the sermon notes are there for you and we would love to have you engage with us that way. But I also want to just tell you we are also going to be in the New Testament almost every week in this series and you may think well what does the New Testament have with the Ten Commandments? Exactly. A lot. And you're going to learn today that the whole foundation of it was summarized by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I do this in the spirit of Acts chapter 20 verse 27. Where the Apostle Paul was talking to uh, Christians and he said to them this. That he hadn't shrunk or been scared or pulled back from sharing with them the whole counsel of the word of God. And what Paul was talking about there is that I'm going to share with you everything. Genesis uh, through the New Testament, through the Gospels at that time. And and he's he's not afraid to to teach all of the Word of God. And so I think it's important that we, as a church and as Christians, we know the commands of God. And we learn from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And what's going to be amazing in this series, and another thing I'm just so excited about, is that we can actually do it at the same time. 
Uh, and you'll see how it all fits together, and you'll see how, you know, you know, 40 plus authors over a couple thousands of years have this harmony because it's the inspired and authoritative Word of God. And so uh, take this to heart, bring your, bring your Bibles or, or bring your phone, take notes, memorize the Scripture. Maybe some of you have those Ten Commandments memorized even, uh, but we're going to be looking at it over the next several weeks. I'm really excited uh, to be sharing with you. Now, we're going to begin today is actually in Mark chapter 12. So if you marked Exodus 20, we're going to get there, uh, but we're actually going to start with Mark chapter 12. And so if you have your Bible, uh, turn there to that passage, Mark chapter 12. And let me a- a- explain uh, just a little bit about what's going on in, in Mark chapter 12. Uh, Jesus has uh, been teaching and he has been answering questions of people. He's actually been receiving people. And, and uh, it's, it's a, a great uh, passage there, a great chapter in the Bible where the, 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 some of his uh, naysayers, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and some of them have been coming at him trying to trap him with these questions. Like they asked him this one question about taxation and about taxes. And they said, hey, you know, should we pay the imperial tax to the Romans, you know, to Caesar? Should we do that? And Jesus answers it like this because Jesus is just genius as the son of God. He says, uh, do you have some money? Can I, can I see a coin? And they're like, oh, yeah, that's not answering a question, but yeah, sure, go ahead. And he looks at the coin, he says, uh, whose picture's on this coin? And they said, well, it's Caesar. And Jesus says, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. And it's like, wow. I mean, you can't, you can't, you know, diffuse that in some way. You can't refute what he said. And, and they were just shocked because Jesus would always answer their questions truthfully and holy. And it's just, just like shocking and amazing. You're like, well, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, we should pay taxes. And it's got a picture of Caesar. We'll give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And, 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 and it's, so they've been doing this. They've, there's been this back and forth. And I want you to go there in your mind. Uh, several times today in the, in the sermon, I want you to, to go back there, okay? Imagine that you're there with Jesus, the Son of God, and you've heard about Jesus, and Jesus has been teaching, and maybe you heard that he did a miracle, he did something really um, awesome, and, and he proved himself, and, or maybe you've just heard that he's a great teacher, and it, that he teaches with authority that not even like the scribes and the Pharisees, not even when they teach Scripture, it wasn't like Jesus. Jesus, there was something different about him. There was something really special about him, and, and almost divine. And then he's making some claims now about himself. And so he's drawn crowds. And in Mark chapter 12, it's one of those passages where he's drawn a crowd, but the Pharisees and the Sadducees see it as an opportunity of, hey, let's see if we can, you know, they're, they're rubbing their hands together saying, hey, let's see if we can catch him in something. They're asking him all these questions. And then you kind of get down to where our passage is, which is actually in Mark's gospel, chapter 12, verse 28. And when you get down to verse 28, there's this Pharisee, again, that decides, I'm going to ask a question of Jesus. Let's pick up our passage there as we begin the series this morning. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, going back and forth, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, as he did every time. He asked him, of all of the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor 
as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, when you first read that, and if you're like me and you're kind of you know, familiar with the Ten Commandments, I was trying to think, okay, which one of the commandments? And he could have been talking about all the commandments in Scripture, but they would all really kind of go back to the ten. The ten kind of summarize all of them. And so when he says, which one is the greatest commandment, you know, Jesus doesn't answer with, love the Lord your God and have no idols before him. Or, you know, he doesn't start with these ten commandments. He starts with really a couple of summary statements. And they have appeared before in Scripture. But Jesus is, is summarizing pretty much all of the law and all of the prophets in this line. Now, one thing you have to understand about Jesus is he himself proclaimed in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and following in the Sermon on the Mount, right in the middle, Jesus tells them, hey, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets as the Son of God. No, I have come to fulfill all of them in all righteousness. And we know that he did that because Jesus never sinned. He, he, he never committed sin, and so he kept the law perfectly, which is why he was the perfect sacrifice, is because he was the blameless son of God. And he kept it perfectly, because we know that we can't. And, and so Jesus, knowing this, he, he summarizes in these two statements, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then he says the second commandment is, is, is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you know the Ten Commandments, you know that the first four commandments talk about your relationship with God. They have this vertical focus in life. You shall have no other gods before me. That's what we're going to be talking about today. That's, that's the first commandment. And if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you won't have any gods before him. It says, do not make for yourself a graven image or an idol and worship an idol. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you won't worship idols. And you can go through the first four commandments and you understand, ah, if you just love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you won't use his name in vain. And you'll keep his Sabbath day holy. And it just summarizes it up beautifully. And then Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And guess what? If you go with commandments 5 through 10, the next six commandments, and God's big 10, you find out those are about how we relate to the world and how we relate to one another and other humans and the human relationship. So we have this vertical focus in the first four, and then we have this horizontal focus in the next six of the Ten Commandments, and he says to love your neighbor as yourself. And again, Jesus, in all of his genius, is summarizing the Ten Commandments for us. In fact, all of the commandments, you could take the whole Levitical law and break down each one into one of these two categories, either love God or love others. Because if you love your neighbor as yourself, you will not commit adultery with their spouse. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you will not steal from them. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you won't murder them. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you won't covet their possessions. And you can go through the rest of the commandments. It's like, ah. Oh. Now, understanding in Mark chapter 12, that they very much understood what Jesus was saying. If you read the, the rest after verse 31 there, it wasn't like, and they were baffled by Jesus' answer and didn't understand what he was saying and didn't understand that he just summarized the whole law and those two commandments. No. They knew exactly what he was saying. In fact, Jesus commends that Pharisee and says, hey, you're close. You're close to the kingdom of God because of your understanding of what I just said. It's important for us to understand 
that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it in all righteousness. So we're going to see that even more as we go through the message today. Now, I want to focus on the commandment, Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Let's begin with verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 3, but the actual first commandment appears to us in verse 3 of this passage. But we're going to begin with verse 1. It says this, And God spoke all of these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And you shall have no other gods before me. It gives us commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me. Pretty straightforward, right? Pretty pretty simple. And when you read it, note that it's little g gods. Because... It's not the God. And you'll read throughout the rest of the Ten Commandments as we read and study those over the next several weeks that you'll see the big G God in there and you'll see Lord in all caps and you'll see references to God Almighty, the God of the universe. But here, the command is that you will have no other gods before me. And you read that and you think, well, that's so straightforward and so simple. And and yes, I get it. And I I see why God commands it. He wants our our loyalty. And and, and so we should just do it, right? I mean, it's just that simple. No other gods before him. Just just God is first. And and God is the utmost in our life. And yes, that should just be that easy. But God is gracious. And he created us. And he understands us. And he knows that that might be not simple Simply enough for us to understand that, oh yeah, just, just, just love God and, and have no other gods before him, that, that he would be first and most and highest in our life. It, yeah, we should just do that. No, God knows us better than that, and he provided a very powerful and motivating way for us to know that. And, and it should be our motivation to keep not only the first commandment, but all the commandments, and understanding that the commandments are good. They're the best way to live life in this world and to function in this world. In fact, all of us want to be treated like the commandments say. And we'll find that our best life as we're passing through this world and getting ready for the next is actually lived out well in keeping God's commands. But he shows us in this very powerful, motivating way. He shows us by rescuing us. Because I've rescued you, have no other gods before me. Let's look back there. Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. Go back to verse 2. What did, he, what did he start with? I mean, you're thinking he's given the Ten Commandments, just get it out, God. I mean, verse 1 makes sense. And God spoke all these words. And then you would think he'd just go into verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. But no, he gives them verse 2 as a gift. As a reminder of the motivation of the rescue that he has performed in their lives. He says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And let me paint a picture for you why that's so significant. We're in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus is the story of the Exodus, right? They have been enslaved in Egypt for some 200 years, most scholars believe. There's been three or four generations of their families that have been born into slavery. And they've been crying out to God saying, God save us. God rescue us. God deliver us out of the hand of the Egyptians. And folks, when he gives us the Ten Commandments here and he gives us verse 2, understand the Exodus, like the subheading, the Exodus, when it actually happened, was over in verse or over in chapter 12. 
okay, eight chapters ago. This is fresh. Okay, this is happening right now. They're not even in the promised land yet. God gives them the commandments on Mount Sinai. They actually have just crossed the Red Sea. Remember that story? You, you remember the movie, The Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston? I mean, I'm sorry, folks, that's a low-hanging fruit for me in this series. And you know I like me some good Charlton Heston and some voices of God. I'm going to try not to do an impersonation from Ten Commandments every week, I promise. Or reference the movie every week. But it's just happened. They've just crossed the Red Sea. They just experienced manna. You know what manna is, right? Manna in Hebrew means, what is it? They didn't know what it was, but it fed them when they had no food. I mean, they've just experienced all of this, and God says, here's the commands I want you to live by, and the first one is to have no other gods before me, but let me give you verse 2 again and remind you, I'm the Lord your God. I'm the Lord, capital L, your God, big G, who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. And you may say, well, wait a second, we're New Testament Christians here, and God would say the same thing to you. I rescued you out of your sinful life, out of the slavery of sin that you were so easily entangled with. That was beautiful. Angel got its wings, right? (laughs) Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. And the reason that he gives them, in verse 2, what he does is he's telling us that I have done this for you. I have rescued you, and we are enslaved to our passions and to the powers and to the desires of this world. And God is saying nothing, not even the law, could save us because we couldn't keep it. Nothing could set us free except my grace and my forgiveness and my rescue, my rescue of you. And so because of that, let that be your motivation. No other gods before me. If you want to understand this even better, there's a wonderful passage in Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to share with you this morning. I want you to listen to it. I believe the, the text will be on the screens, or if you're in the app, you can follow along this morning. But Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 10, is an excellent summary of the gospel. And so if you ever wanted to share the gospel with someone, you should just read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, because they'll be able to totally relate to it. And it's your story, and it's my story. It's the story of anyone that has come to Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, the Apostle Paul here to a group of Christians in Ephesus gives this, this illustration and this story and these scriptures that tell us how God has rescued us and how we truly needed rescuing. Listen to what it says, Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 1. As for you, and remember he's talking to Christians, so if you're a Christian this morning, this is for you. Okay? As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live, you're not supposed to be living them any longer, because God, because God has saved you, Jesus saved you out of that. But you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. It's a reference to Satan there. The spirit that is now at work in those who are disobedient. That guy, yeah. 
And all of us also lived among them at one time. We were gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and its thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Like that's what we deserve because of our sinfulness and the evil and the darkness that is in each one of us. That's what we deserve. And then we get to verse 4. What in the world are we going to do? <laughs> we can't keep the law. But what are we going to do? But, it's a great but in the Bible. But, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. In other words, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. Not after you became good, not after you repented of your sins. No, while you were yet sinners, Romans says, Christ died for you. Let's go back to verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable richness of his grace. He's going to be able to show off to the world, look at how I rescue, look at how I love my children, look at what I've done for them. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, and it is through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is a gift from God, and it is not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Some translations say we are his masterpiece. We are God's handiwork, we are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He rescued us. And, and each one of us that has accepted Christ, we can probably remember back. Because you were. It, doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't leave a qualifier there. It just says, you were dead. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Nailed. Guilty. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, sent Jesus. And you're saved by grace through faith and believing in him. And it's not of yourselves. It's something you do to earn it. It's a gift from God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. And God says, first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me because of what I've done for you. And he had rescued the 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 Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and he's rescued us out of our slavery of sin in our lives. And he is saying to us, I have done this for you. So this is what I want in return. Nothing higher, nothing worshipped, nothing better, nothing first in your life except me. You'll, shout, you'll have no other gods before me. Let me be first in your life. I have set you free because I have set you free Please be free indeed. And don't enslave yourself to any passion or any sin or any pattern in this world. Only follow me. Just follow me. And do 
what the Heavenly Father asks you to do. You shall have no other gods before me. How do we apply this? How do we live that out in our lives? I want to give you a couple suggestions here this morning. The first one's this. Putting God first means that we let God be God. Big G, both times. Real God. We let him be God. The ultimate, the ultimate focus of our life. He's the ultimate focus of life. He's the ultimate. That means he is the best. That means he is the highest. He is the utmost. He is the ultimate. If you use that word ultimate, it's like, this is my ultimate car. That means like, that's the end all car, right? If you're like, this is my ultimate, you know, possession. You're like, that is it. You know, this is my ultimate relationship. You're like, this is the utmost. This is the end all. And you let God be God by letting him be the ultimate focus of life. Because here's the truth this morning. Sometimes it is easy to lose sight that so many good things can become ultimate things to us. I think that's directly what God was speaking against here. When your life is good, it's 100% because of God. 100% because of God. If every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Heavenly Father, everything you have in life that you appreciate comes from Him, that's something to celebrate. That's something to worship. That's someone who loves me and cares for me and rescued me. And I want to put him first. I want to let God be God and him be the ultimate focus of my life. And the struggle, the struggle here, that we might lose sight because there's other good things in life, but they can't become the ultimate thing in life. And some of us, that's relationships with other people. It could be a good thing, but it can't be the ultimate thing. For, for some of us, it might be a career pursuit. Career pursuit, that's a good thing, but it can't be the ultimate thing. For some of us, it might be our money and possessions. Those are not necessarily a bad thing. It could be a good thing. But it can't be the ultimate thing. And for some of us, it can be just the pleasures, just the activities that we enjoy become the ultimate thing in our life that we live for. And for some of us, it can even be sports. It could be a number of things, and they're not bad things. I like sports. It's not a bad thing, but it becomes the ultimate thing. And what does God say? I rescued you. I love you. Have no other gods before me. No other gods before me. And when we put God first like he wants us to, we realize that saying yes to God means that we say no to some of the other things this life has to offer. And honestly, we need to say no to ourselves. Sometimes we, we just need to say no to ourselves. When our selfishness kicks in and we think, I know better than God. I know what I want and what I need. God would say, hey, have no other gods before me. Because I am the Lord, your God, that rescued you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, that rescued you out of your sinfulness and the darkness in your life and brought you out of the slavery of sin that you are so easily entangled with, I am the Lord your God, have no other gods before me. Putting God first means letting him be God. 
making him the ultimate focus of life. The second thing, the second way we apply this today is to remember this. The pathway to avoid putting other gods before the one true God is to love and worship him. Love and worship him. And again, I'm like, you know, oh wow, that's so deep. It's, it, no, it's, it's relatively simple. Love and worship him. Jesus summarized it that way, right? How did he respond? He didn't say, hey, worship the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. He didn't say, obey the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And what did he say about your neighbor? Treat your neighbor right. No, he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love and worship. And if you want to know, well, how, how can I do this? How can I put this better into practice? How can my life reflect a life that is really appreciative and surrendered to Christ Jesus? That's the way. That's the pathway to avoid the little G gods consuming your life and becoming the ultimate thing is to love and to worship God. And Jesus understood this. And that's why he said and answered in Mark 12 the way that he did. And you could say, well, I get that. And I get that just eight chapters before, these people that were receiving the commandments for the first time, they just had all that stuff happen. I mean, manna in the desert, the Red Sea parts. We're getting out of slavery. We've been in for 200 years. Yeah, I get that. What are we lacking here? If we truly see God for what he has done, what is the best way we can do that today? To remember that he's rescued us. If you want to see what he's done for you, you look at Jesus on the cross. You look at Jesus on the cross. If you're wondering, does God really love me? Look at Jesus on the cross. Can God actually say, hey, have no other gods before me? Look at Jesus on the cross. If you've ever questioned, does God really want to have a relationship with me? Do you look at Jesus on the cross? You know, Colossians 1.15 says that, that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. You want to see God and how much he loves you? He sacrifices his one and only son on a rescue mission. You want to see it? You look at Jesus on the cross. And you look at the sacrifice of innocent blood. And if you've ever wondered or doubted how much God loves you, or how he could make such demands of my life, these commandments, look at Jesus on the cross. And you love and you worship the man on the cross. And you love and you worship the Father that put him there. Because the bottom line is, when you look at Jesus on the cross, just remember that's what we deserved. We should have been nailed there. Jesus kept the law perfectly. He never broke any of the commandments. None of them. In fact, he fulfilled them in all righteousness. He kept them perfectly. Which made him the perfect sacrifice for our sins. The perfect Lamb of God. Once and for all, being killed and tortured to atone for the sins of all mankind. And now, do you feel different? 
When God comes to you and gives you his command and says, have no other gods before me. Does it mean something different to you now, church? Are you reminded why? It's because he loves you. He rescued you. Because of that, we find ourselves feeling almost indebted to him. Yes. Because of that, you shall have no other gods before me. It was only, not only a rescue, but the rescue required sacrifice. Required the sacrifice of the Son of God. We're about to take communion this morning, and hopefully when you came in this morning, you got one of these. If you didn't, they're right outside the doors. And hopefully if you're with us online, you've made some kind of preparation, a cracker and some juice in your home. But as God said in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, he said, remember that I am the Lord your God, the one that just rescued you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God is saying throughout the Old Testament, remember, remember, remember. That's why he always gives these credentials. I'm the Lord of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And he's telling this story to get us to be like, oh yeah, you've done so much. And then Jesus gets in the upper room with the disciples. He says, when you take this, you do this in remembrance of me. Because this bread in here, it's my body. It's broken for you. You do this in remembrance of me. And this cup, it's my blood sacrificed for you. High cost of your salvation. And when you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. And when you do this, I want you to remember this Lord's Supper, this communion, this, this meal, this, this is a memorial meal. And you remember This is a rescue meal because I sacrificed everything because I love you. Let's pray this morning and then we're going to take communion together. Lord God, I thank you that you love us so much that you would send Jesus. God, I thank you for your commandments that really have our best regard in mind. So many times, God, we look at your law and we say, oh, it's restrictive and demanding. But really, it's how to live life the way you intended. God, I pray as we come into this time of communion, as we remember the rescue mission, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus that's in this bread, in this cup, that, God, we would truly do this from a heart that just remembers you. That God, even, even more so, that through taking this meal right now and communing with you, we would understand in an even deeper and more special way why the God of the universe would say to us, you shall have no other gods before me. It's because you paid it all through Jesus, your son. And Lord, we thank you for that. I pray we'd celebrate that and commemorate that as we take this communion together this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.
I'm going to give you a minute here just to have this time to commune with your Savior, Jesus Christ.